they are leopards and pumas in Britain. Yes, I suppose because we're an island, they've got no way off. Yeah, they're in our country. They're here to stay. Seeing is believing, and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello, welcome to episode 43 of Big Cat Conversations. Following our last edition from Hertfordshire, we are staying on the outskirts of London for now because we are concentrating on Epping Forest, a big green wooded parkland area to the north of Greater London. And our guest, John, knows it all well, and he will be our guide. So, John, great to check in with you and welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, nice to talk to you, Rick. John, before we start, can you give us an overview of what Epping Forest is all about? Yeah, Epping Forest is in the northeast part of London. It's like a wedge. It's a thin wedge that goes northeast out of London. It crosses the M25 and it goes on to Epping. It's about 6,000 acres of woodland. There's some open areas. There's some ponds through the forest. There's plenty of deer in there, fallow deer and monkjack, foxes, badgers and all that. If you go up there, especially at the moment with lockdown, you'll find that places inundated with people, dog walkers, mountain bikers and pony riders. It is a very, very busy forest. It's not a quite rural place. It's extremely busy. Yeah, it's got some real honey pots to it, hasn't it? <laughs> well, the busiest place is High Beach, which is the highest place in Epping Forest. There's a big car park there with a pub behind it. The ground drops away. You can look over of an evening over North London and all the lights from all the factories and houses and what have you. It's quite a view, actually. Yeah, it's about 6,000 acres. It's controlled by the Corporation of London. They have rangers constantly patrolling day and night. They know about these cats. They know all about them. And if you go to High Beach, there's like a visitor centre. And if you go in there, at one point in the corner, it's got a picture of a black panther. And it says, have you seen one of these creatures? And you may be lucky enough to spot one in our forest. So they do know about them, the, the rangers and the people that run the forest. There's one other Country Park Visitor Centre place that has got a Black Panther sighting acknowledged. I didn't know the High Beach Centre had that because I've been there. Um, last time I was there was about three years ago. and I can't remember that, but that's interesting that they do formally acknowledge it. I did speak to someone recently and they was talking to the rangers and the rangers said to him, it was it a black cat or one of the big brown ones? <laughs> and he said, no, it was a black one. They said, oh, yeah, we know about it. He said, but we're not allowed to officially really discuss it. He said, but we are authorised to shoot it on site. Some of them are armed, are they? I don't know. But when I go there next time, if I see the rangers, because they often stop at a tea hut, I will have a chat to them and see what they say. We get quite a lot of deer knocked down through Epping. Most days you'll see a deer knocked down up there. And quite often when they get knocked down, it doesn't kill them. They just end up in the verges. People phone the Corporation of London, they send their rangers out, and they will dispatch them there and then with a gun. Yeah, they'll have a bolt gun to the head, presumably. Now, John, so your encounters and your knowledge of cats direct? We was camping at Ridge Farm campsite in Dorset. At the time, I had a motorhome. On the Saturday night, we got back late. I just put all the batteries on charge and what I was doing mucking about, and the other two sat outside the glass of wine. Anyway... I went to the truck we had at the time and I cleared it out from the day's bits and pieces. And there was, I'll never forget it, there was chicken stuffing sandwiches from Tesco's that some were half eaten and there was some not eaten. And I put them in a bin liner, but rather than to put it in the bin, I tied it to the wing mirror of the camper van. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'll do it in the morning when I go to the shower. I didn't think nothing of it. Anyway, um, on that motorhome, you could sleep above the cab and I had the window undone. And as I say, it was August, it was a perfect weather. The stars were out, it was lovely. But in the middle of the night, I could hear this noise. I thought, oh, it's something having a go at the sandwiches. I thought I'd be a fox. But when I looked out, there was a black cat. But it was like no cat I've ever seen before. In fact, like no other cat I've ever seen since. It was probably 1.1 metre long from the nose to the, the base of its tail. You could see the shoulder blades that moving. It was jet black and glossy. It had no rosette markings. 
But the other odd thing, which I found really odd, its head, it was freakishly small. If you could imagine a rabbit, a fluffy rabbit skinned, when they come out, they look really sinuous and muscular. That's what this cat looked like. It was all muscle and sinew. It was nothing like a domestic cat. But it wasn't huge, muscular. It was extremely lean and sinewy and jet black and glossy. So I watched this creature for, I don't know, probably 20, 30 seconds. And I thought, well, first thing, I thought, am I dreaming? I thought, no, I'm not. I'm awake. And then I was watching it. And then it was trying to get into the bin liner. And then I thought, oh, the fellow I was working with, Stuart, was in the tent. And the tent was only three foot, four foot away from this cat. So I shooed it off. And as I shooed it off, it let back. And I'll never forget the thump in the ground as it landed because it was dry. The cat went right down, looked at me, snarled, showed all its teeth, and in a blink was gone. And that's the first time I've, I saw one. But it created a lot of, um, shall we say, issues. Because first of all, what is it? It's a cat. I can see it's a cat. But what sort of cat? I've never seen a cat like it before or since. Where has it come from? What is it doing there? And a million and other one questions. I told the two fellows I was working with the next day, and they just laughed. All I got all day long was, oh, look, there's a pink elephant. There's a giraffe. Is there a lion in that front garden? And this went on for the next week. But when I got home, I went on the internet, and I found Jonathan McGowan, who you know very well. I phoned John, told him what happened. I ended up about a week or two later going out with him for the day. That's how I got into it. And your second question is going to be, what have you seen in Epping Forest? Yeah, just quickly back to that first one, John. Very interesting. And of course, that is a bit of a hotspot area. That one in particular, it would have been capable of dispatching a, an adult roe deer, fallow deer, seeker deer, would it? Well, the funny thing was, just before we went to bed that night, John and Stuart were sitting outside with a drink and I was mucking around inside the motorhome. When I finished what I was doing, I put the kettle on, I had a coffee, and then we heard this screaming coming from the woods. And it was like something was being killed. Something was being killed. And we assumed it was a rabbit being killed by a fox. And then it stopped. And we all looked at each other and went, oh, that doesn't sound very good. And then it started up again, this screeching and screaming. Then it stopped and went quiet. That was probably midnight when we heard that. I think the time of morning which I saw this creature was probably 2.30. So, do you think it was large enough to kill a deer? No. I would say it would handle a monk jack quite easily. I would imagine it wasn't heavy enough to drag a full-grown seeker deer down. Obviously, I've discussed this with Jonathan over the years. As he says, he thinks it's probably a young female, eight months old. And as you know, when you see a human teenager, they're the young and skinny. It's not until they get adults they fill out. I think that would apply to this creature. You'd been living near Epping Forest and unaware of cats, and suddenly you were awoken to the potential of big cats in Britain. Yes. Now, the next time I saw one of these creatures, I had a four-wheel drive a few years ago, and it was snowing. And at the back of Waltham Abbey, there's a lane called Galley Hill. It's, it's a funny lane. It just disappears out of the abbey. There's a couple of campsites up there, for, like uh, caravan parks. There's a few farms, and it disappears up into the uplands of Epping. Very few people go up there. But because it was snowing and the snow was about 12 inches deep on this time, I thought I'd test my four-wheel drive. About 20 past four in the afternoon, it was starting to get dark, but it wasn't dark yet. I went as far as I could go with my little four-wheel drive, got to the top of Galley Hill, turned around and come back, which is probably four miles, maybe five miles. And on the way back, I'm literally rolling. I'm not going any faster than a quick walk sort of thing. And on the right-hand side, something shot out the bushes. It was jet black. It went through the snow like a rocket. It wasn't a dog because I've got a border collie, so I know what a dog runs like. But you couldn't actually see what it was because it was going so fast. The snow was coming up. It was like a snowplow going along. <laughs> but as I looked up, there was three deer, full-grown deer. One of them was a stag. They saw this creature and they took off. They was gone. They run. And this creature chased them right the way through the field, down the valley, across through the patch of forest. I never saw what it was. I, I went into the field and went to where the footprints would be, but you couldn't see what they were because the creature was going so fast. It was. It never actually put a footprint down. It just made a, a basically like a big plough mark through the snow. So what that creature was, was it a cat? I tend to think it would be. It was as big as a, a female Labrador. You couldn't actually see what it was because of the snow. 
I mean, dogs chase deer, don't they? So that, anyway, the deer were felt threatened and were being pursued by something. Something. I would say it was a cat going by the way it was moving, but you just it was going so fast. I, I've never seen a dog go as fast as that. Yeah, so that was on your doorstep. Anything else in Epping Forest? Yes, yeah, since that. I was out one night with a bunch of fellas. One of them said to me, he said, talk to him, tell him what you've been finding. We got talking and he said to me, he said, oh, Galley Hill. He said, yeah, I live up there. He said, I live in a farm. He said, we see these black cats regular up there. He said, we don't know what they are, but they're black and they're big. He said, but normally they're about the size of a collie or a female Labrador. He said, but we have seen one, which is huge. He said, we've got no idea what it is, but we do see it now and again. And that is at the back of Waltham Abbey going up into the Epping Uplands. Any of those cats could kill a deer, couldn't they? Even a collie-sized black cat could kill a deer, I presume? Well, this creature was going for these three deer. They took one look and they was off. They was full-grown fallow deer. They wasn't small deer, but this creature was going for them. Yeah. You've spent a lot of time networking and finding out a bit more, haven't you, and, and have a sort yeah. of some handle on a trend of sightings. So tell us about that, if you could. Well, most of the stuff I've been involved with is in Dorset because Jonathan's down there and most of the filming we've done and all this stuff we've found is in Dorset, but it does knock on to Epping Forest. Now, I was out one day with a lady friend of mine and she's seen some film what we've got, so she had an idea. We, we was out into a place called the Warren. It's a very funny patch of the forest because the rangers are clever. What they've done, there's no car park in there. You can't park anywhere near it, so it rules out dog walkers and most people. That's where the deer seem to hold up. They seem to go there every day, and they're always in that forest. So me and her went for a walk there one day, and uh, we're walking along, and all of a sudden she looked down and she said, is that scat over there? And then when we looked, probably 12 foot off the pole, there was a big scat. It was uh, deer fur. Half it was deer fur, and the other half was like black. You know when it's, it's been eating meat? Yes, it's much richer, yeah. Yeah. She's got very good eyesight. She looked up. She went, there's another one over there, about 20 foot away, in the leaf mould. I looked and I thought, well, no, it's not so easy. Anyway, sure enough, there's another scat 20 foot away, and it's the same. She looked at me in total innocence, and she said, well, if there's scat here and it's been eating a deer, she said, there must be a kill, which is, you know, very basic common sense. I said, well, yeah. So when you look at the land, you can see the leaf mould, you can see where the pathway where the deer and the animals walk through the woods, as you you know, you know, you've seen it all before. So we followed that up at about I would say a hundred yards away from that, sure enough, we come across a deer carcass. It was a full grown female fallow deer. The skin had been pulled back off of it. It had been licked clean the body and the ribs had been chewed back to the spine. And I've got a photo that on photograph as well. Now that is odd because it's actually inside the M25 in Epping Forest. And if you could go up high enough above the trees, you can see the Shard. You're probably nine miles from the Shard in central London. Now, changing the subject slightly, I um, I met a fellow a few weeks ago, which you introduced me to. He takes his three dogs for a walk. Simon, his name is. He takes his dogs at High Beach every night after work. And he's quite often out as it's dark this time of year. You know, his dogs are used to that every day. Anyway, a while ago, he was walking along with his three dogs. And in the distance, it was just getting dark. And the forest, if you can imagine a path going through a forest, but the trees have been cut back about 50 foot from the path, one side, the right side. The left side, they're about 15, 18 foot from the path. And as he's walking along, he said, this huge black cat come out. He said it's a panther. He said, uh, and he's quite a big big sort of chap. He's not a small little man. He, and he put his arms out and he went as big as that, nearly five foot body, four and a half, five foot. He said he'd come out of the woods as casually as you like, walked across the grass, across the path and disappeared. He said his small dog cried and jumped up and wanted to be, wouldn't go any further. What The old dog didn't see it and the other dog was fastening around his ankles, didn't want to go any further. So basically, I said, what did you do? He said, I run back to the car, threw the dogs in and went. <laughs> now that is i would say half a mile a third of a mile from high beach where you will see thousands of people up there over the course of a week with their dogs their children uh horse riders yeah really busy place and, and motorcyclists come and congregate there don't they outside the cafe noisy busy place that you know animals would want to keep away from mainly yeah so 
Shall we just say thanks to Simon? Because in fact, Simon got in touch. He's a podcast listener and he was the one who prompted this episode, really. He said, you know, I had this great sighting on Epping Forest and I thought, ah, right, that's the chance to cue in John Estelle. And um, I'm great that you've mentioned Simon's report. And Simon mentioned that he'd spoke to a ranger and the ranger wasn't surprised one bit about that sighting. That's right. Also, this week, I've had another chat via Simon again, a fellow that does pest control on a farm on a, on a country state just outside the M25 in Essex. This was this side of Christmas. He was out at 5.30 at night. His target is deer because on this farm, they've got so many deer destroying the crops. So he's got to reduce the numbers. And he said he was plotted up with his rifle and he's got one of these um, thermal imaging scopes. It's not on a rifle, it's a spotter. He's plotted up, ready to go. It's only 5.30 at night. And he said um, a deer come out of the patch of woodland, but he was in a hurry and it wasn't very happy. It kept looking around. It wasn't happy. It's was something he didn't like. And he said, and all of a sudden, this creature come out and he said it was on thermal imaging. He said, so I couldn't tell a colour, whether it was black or brown. He said, I watched it come out. It crouched down. It was creeping along the floor. He said, you couldn't miss what it was. He had a huge sweeping towel. And... As a man that has been 35 years hunting and working on this estate, so he knows his animals, he said he'd never seen anything like it. But he did see a lynx years ago on the estate. But he said after 35 years, he thought he knew everything that lived there. And he said this creature come out and he said he could have shot it. He had it in his sights. It was no problem to shoot, but he didn't want to. He said it was an absolutely beautiful creature. And he said he watched it disappear off after this deer. But afterwards, he did have the wind up a little bit and he decided to pack it in for the night in case it decided to creep round the back of him. Great. What a great um, report. Thank you for that, John. That was only, I don't know, eight days ago. So right at the start of January. Yeah, it was this year. We've heard that from people before, people who are stalkers and in the game sector say exactly that, that they've seen a cat and it wasn't their place to shoot or they didn't want to shoot, but they just watched it. Now, did that thermal imaging scope, did it have a record function? Uh, that's what I asked him, and he said, yes, it does. He said, but he's never used it because he doesn't need to. <laughs> so it wasn't switched on? <laughs> no, he said he's never used it. He said he just plots himself up. They take out any deer that they think are inbred with um, problems. He said they don't want to decimate the deer. He said because the farmer that owns the estate has never allowed shooting on that estate for 35 years for deer. They obviously take rabbits and foxes out, but they said it's only recently that they've got to reduce the numbers of the deer because of the amount of damage they're doing. Are you going to try and befriend him more and see if he'll put cameras out with you, John? Great chance, isn't it? I managed to get through to him the other night, two nights ago, and told him what we're doing and all the rest of it. He's, when he told the farmer, the farmer was very nonchalant about it. He went, oh, OK. He, went, uh, he said, I told him he saw a puma. And he went, oh, OK. He said, don't try to keep that to yourself. Don't say a lot about it. <laughs> I asked him if I could go out hunting with him that one night. Now, I, I don't hunt and I don't really like hunting. It's not my thing. I'd rather catch him on a camera, whether it's a still camera or a video camera. That's my goal. But I'm very interested to go to learn. He said, yeah, he agreed to that. The other thing, I would like to get to meet the farmer and, and ask him if we can use some cameras, not where the dog walkers go, but maybe the round patches of forest that he has on the land. So I've Google Earth and seen them. But obviously, as you know what it's like, you've got to sort of gain a little bit of trust with a farmer before he allow all that. I wouldn't just go on his land and do it willy-nilly, you know. It's very important on a subject like this that we actually, you know, have some manners and do things properly with protocols. And Yeah, but I'd rather ask and have permission because otherwise also your cameras will go missing. If the hunters are there overnight and they, they see them, they'll just take them. Yeah, yeah, because they'll think they're being spied on for starters, perhaps. So no, we do it properly. And if he says no, no. And if he says yes, great, we will do. Yeah, good stuff. And he might say no first and then have second thoughts in six months' time or something when he realises yeah. that it's an interesting thing to do. Yeah, well, good luck with that. There is another one that's interesting. We had a chap called Dave Ching. Unfortunately, he died a few months ago. He was like a retired chap. He lived in the wilds of nowhere in Essex and he, he used to go um, and do beating, you know, like when they shoot the birds on the estate. To flush them out, yeah. Yeah, now Dave was a hunting and fishing sort of gentleman, proper East End character, a properly cockney sort of chap. Now, I asked him years ago, about 10 years ago, I said, Dave, what's your opinion of cats? And he said, well, 
he's always lived out there and he's always gone hunting and he's always done shooting. And he said, I've never seen one. He said, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. So that was how it was left. Anyway, one day I get a phone call. He's quite excited over this. He said at four o'clock in the morning, he was going fishing. It's winter. And he was driving from where he lives through Epping. So he's going through Epping, going towards London. And he said, in his headlights at 4.30 in the morning, he said, this thing crossed the road, come out. He said, and it looked like a black Alsatian. He thought, oh, someone's Alsatian is out. He said, as I got nearer, the lights went on it. He said, it was a huge black panther. Now, I've got him on film. He's filmed this. He's done all this. And I said to him, Dave, could you be mistaken? He said, no. He said, it was a big black panther. And I said, well, how big is it? And he put his arms out at full stretch. He said, head and body. That was, what, really close to him as he drove up in the, on the road? And that is, if you go to Epping, the north side of Epping, there's an Epping Green. There's a sign there that, for the, what little town it is. It's a market town. It's a lovely little town. Yeah, I know. I've been there. Well, it was crossing that green at four o'clock in the morning. So now this creature is not frightened to come into the edge of towns. Yeah, because that would be busy in the daytime. Constant traffic there during the daytime. He said it was in his headlights. He said it was... It was right there. He said there was no mistaking what it was. It wasn't a dog. Also, there's another chap called Will Buckley. I, I know the family very well. I know his dad. Now, Will's quite a big strapping young man. He's in his late 20s. he come home late one night, and he's got a VW Transporter Sport. he come back in Chigwell. And there's a, a, a state place there, a Miller and Carter in Ho Lane, Chigwell. As he gets to it, this is like half one, two in the morning. It's no one about. He turns left into the whole lane, and as he's turned into it, he said this creature's jumped out from the bins. If you can imagine the side of the pub, there's a wood fence, and they've got all the bins the other side of it. He said this big cat jumped down, and he said it landed right in front of his headlights. He said it was as clear as you can see. It was right in front of the van, and he said how he never hit it, I, he doesn't know. He said in one bound, it leapt to the other side of the lane, it went through the hedgerow but he said the van must have hit his towel this was about four years ago and i said to him well, how big was this one and he's a big powerful lad he put his arms out and went about that big which is about four and a half five foot again so these are all in the last five or so years these sightings yeah now if you want to talk about cats that go into the east end of london the closest i've had going into london this chap lives down the road and this was about five years ago he come up to me one day and he said um john he said are you doing something to do with the cats in england i said yeah or trying to <laughs> and he said um i've got something to tell you he said 20 years ago he lived in chingford and he said if you go through the forest there's a pub called the lark's hall and what he was doing after work for a night he would walk through the forest to the pub for a few drinks anyway he said one night it's summer he's walking along and he stopped for a pee he said, but he said, I had a funny feeling someone was watching me, just an odd feeling. He said, but there was no one there. He said, so he stopped. He was having a pee. He said, and as he looked round, this big black cat crossed the path 30 foot behind him. And he said, it had a huge sweeping tail. I said, what did you do? He said, run. He said, I've never run so fast. He said, I run all the way to the pub. He said, and I wouldn't go back through that forest for ages. So the closest report I've had in this area is in South Chingford. And that's quite residential, isn't it, basically? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, if you Google Earth it, if you come out the Larksall pub, cross the road, there's some houses, and behind that is the railway line, and that's the railway line that goes into London, the east end of London, uh, or if it goes left, it goes out to Epping. So there's no reason why a creature could walk in that railway line, cross one road, and he's in that forest. That surprised me, because that is getting into... A very busy part of London. Yeah. Are you also thinking that the Lee Valley, big sort of river corridor and fishing lakes? That's right, yeah. You think that's a corridor into the urban part of London, North London, for cats? Right. Lee Valley Park goes north to south. It runs into sort of East London. You've got the, the River Lee, but all around the area is rural. In the winter, it floods and there's all ducks and birds and swans and got those whales. There will be a few deer over there. There'll be some monk jacks. But where the River Lee goes into the east end of London, you also you've got the storm drains. There's some big storm drains. When we get a lot of rain, it all overflows into these. They're dry in the summer, but in the winter they can get really full up, and they're probably 60 foot wide, 70 foot wide, and they take all the flood water out. 
Now, there's no reason why a cat couldn't go in and go right into, really into the east end of London, right into even Hackney. I'm not saying they have been, but there's no reason why they couldn't. Yes, using those kinds of things when they're dry, and those would be good places, pinch points for trail cameras, in fact. Yeah, because if you follow the storm drains, not so much the River Lee, because the River Lee, you get the same thing again. You've got a lot of people, a lot of dog walkers, bikers. To put a camera along the River Lee, I think you'd be lucky to get it back in a week. But the storm drain, that area is just wild land that goes all the way into... It goes right to the Thames. Yes. Um, there's one other thing. In Hertfordshire, there's a cat sanctuary, and it's run by Dr. Terry Moore. I don't know if you know of him. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, well, we've we filmed Terry over a period of weeks, and Terry's a great chap. He said to me, their site, which is a 12-acre small holding, at the time he had 39 cats, I think. He had two Amaleopard, a Jaguar, several Puma. He had about 13 Snow Leopard up there. He said to me, they regularly get a large black. He says it's, he thinks it's male. Go there. He said quite often they find the pug marks in the morning in the, in the sand or the mud, whatever they've been doing. Now, he was telling me that a few years ago, someone he knows released two Puma in Brickett Wood, Hertfordshire, which is not far from me. It's just round the M25 a little bit. And he said they're still there because the police, if they get a roadkill deer, they phone Terry and they say, oh, we've got a deer for your, your cats. He said all hours of day and night, we'd go up there. He said, and um, rescue this dead deer for food for our cats. He said, and he's seen them twice. But he said, when I've parked up at, 12, 1 in the morning to collect the deer. He said, I've actually seen them sitting there watching me. He says, these two cats have been released in the last five, six years, and they're still there. Who knows where they go, but Brickett Wood is actually inside the M25, but it's like Epping Forest. There is tunnels under the M25. If you go to Brickett Wood, there's a tunnel. Literally, it takes you under the M25. Also, in Epping, if you follow the M25, there are tunnels... Nobody ever uses them. They're not for people, but you do see deer prints in them because I've been up there. These are sort of corridors where any creatures can go from outside the M25 into the M25, inside, you know, in Epping Forest. And again, they'd be good places for trail cameras because they are pinch points. Yeah, there's another one very briefly. My son runs a building company and one of his managers is Bruce. He's about in early 50s. Uh, Bruce is a chap that you don't take liberties with, and when he tells you something, you listen. Um, <laughs> he's quite a nice fella, but he's, he's, he's Bruce. Uh, he runs a building site with about 50, 60 fellas. So, you know, Bruce is the boss, shall we say. Um, one day I was talking to Bruce about it, and he said, yeah, I've seen them. I said, go on in where? He said, they come back through Dartford Tunnel, and he was a passenger in a van, in a transit van. He said, so he was looking on his left would be the inside of the M25. And he said, um, we're going along, he said, all of a sudden, he said, this huge black cat, he said, I'll call it a panther. He said he was walking across the field as bold as brass. He said, I've seen one. It is inside the M25. Yeah. North of um, Dartford Tunnel? Well, I'm 20 miles from Dartford Tunnel, so it's probably midway, sort of that sort of area. But Bruce was quite firm. He said, no, no. He said, I know what I saw. It was a huge black cat. He said, I would call it a black panther. Walking across the field, as bold as brass, he said, and I'm in a van watching it. He said, obviously, we couldn't stop. He said, but that's what I saw. So I do think inside the M25, we have definitely have large black cats. Well, I can vouch for that. Essex police asked the landowner for me to follow up one. Funny enough, I was thinking of putting you onto it, but it's a landowner that is particularly sensitive and they trusted me. They got to know me first, so I'll do it. It's a long way for me, but I go there twice a, a year. They have had issues there. That's why they call in the police. And that is inside the M25, believe it or not. But you go to these places and, you know, parts of the land are like a savanna and nobody ever goes there. And it's big sort of bits of, you know, you think, well, a cat would love it here. There's plenty of deer, plenty of rabbits, not much human disturbance. Uh, There's roaring traffic nearby, but that's not going to put a cat off. And it might help the cat if the cat needs to ambush its prey. The prey can only hear the hum of the traffic. I've seen cats a few times, but I think you're the same. As you drive along, you tend to have one eye on the road and one eye in the field at the side. And um, the best sighting I had, apart from outside the motorhome that night, was I went sea fishing one day. And on the way back that night, we was about, it was about 7.30 at night in the summer. It's probably June, July or something. We're coming out of Brighton, going back towards London. And I was a passenger. And as usual, I'm watching the forest and what's going on. 
And all of a sudden, probably about five miles out of Brighton, there's a, a field. It's lush green grass, really nice and green. And right in the middle was this huge black cat. It had a head. If I said to you a jet black jaguar, that's what it looked like. It had a massive big head on him with the round ears. And he was standing probably 70, 80 foot away from the motorway, taking no notice of the cars. He was just standing there looking around. And I probably watched him for about three seconds, but we couldn't stop. I was the passenger. And funny enough, there was roadworks on there at the time. So I've seen these creatures a few times. Could have been a big Tom Leopard mind, couldn't it? I mean, they could, a big strapping Tom Leopard can look a bit like a Jaguar. I know Jaguars are a bit more thick set. Yeah, he was a big, powerful fellow, this one. The first one I saw was so thin and almost like you've made elastic sort of thing. More cheetah-like than leopard-like. Yeah, yeah, with a very small head. But this one, outside Brian, he didn't. And I have a friend called Dave. He lives down that way. He said he's seen one twice early in the morning because he works shift work. And he said it was two mornings in a row and it was in the same place. He said it was jet black. And he said it was sitting on, on the side of the road the first time. And he just drove straight past it. Brilliant, yeah. Was that a sunny spot? Was it sunning itself early in the morning like they can do? I can't remember when it was. But also, because Waltham Abbey is on the border of Essex and Hertfordshire, like if you go up the road a bit, you're in Hertfordshire. Yeah. One other funny one we had was I built some houses and one of the tipper drivers, he was into green laning on motorcycles and KTM and noisy things. He found out about what we're doing with the cat business. One day on a Sunday morning, I hear these motorbikes turn up at my house. It's this fella and his friends. His friends are probably six foot four, great big fella, covered in tattoos, not the sort of chap you want to argue with. And he said, uh, John, he's got something to tell you. So I said, you're gone. So he said, um, uh, he said yesterday they went, they was near Paradise Park in Hertfordshire. And I assume you know of that. They, they've got a wildlife park there. It's a zoo, isn't it? And it's got leopards and tigers and wolves in. Yeah. So anyway, they was... Going down a field near there, along the hedgerow, he said, and Kevin was going first, and he's got a very loud motorcycle. He went through the little rocket, and this other chap was following him. And he said, oh, he was about 100 yards behind. He said, Kevin went through there. He said, all of a sudden, this thing popped up out of the ditch. He said, it was huge. And he said, it was a black panther. He said, but it was odd. He said, the front half, it was jet black. He said, but his back legs were mottled, like you'd say a leopard in Africa. I said, was you mistaken? He went, no, no, no. He said, as Kevin went past, he said, I saw it pop up out the ditch. He said, I slowed right down. He said, I was nine foot away from it when I went past it. And it just stood there and stared at him. He said, but what struck him as odd was the size of it. And it was completely black until it got to its legs. And its legs went like a, a normal spotted leopard. Yeah, it's a very interesting sighting, isn't it? And very detailed. I mentioned uh, Tim, the witness in Berkshire that we had on episode 38, and Tim on that episode was asking about um, human smell on trail cameras and how often yep. you should check trail cameras. And, and I was saying, well, near a motorway or whatever, human smell won't be such an issue as it is in a remote rural area where a cat might be a bit more sensitive to human smell. But you were telling me you've got a good example of a police officer who told you about how long human smell can linger on a camera or anything. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I was, um, as I say, back in Dorset again, I was out in Morton Forest, and there's a pathway that goes down to the little stream. I was down there one day. I was looking at the trees, thinking, where can I put these cameras? And then a couple come along, like retired couple on bicycles, and the chap said, good morning. I said, good morning. And he, he looked at me, he said, are you all right? I said, yeah. He said, uh, what are you doing? And as you know, you don't really want to say to people, I'm looking for a big cat because they think you're potty. Yeah. I said, have you heard of the big cats in Dorset? He said, I have. And I said, well, what I'm trying to do is find something to put these trail cameras in. I explain myself. And he said, um, okay. He said, I'm a retired police officer and he used to train the police dogs for searching stuff like that, you know, searching people out. And he said, then Camry said, you've got in that bag. He said, um, when you put that out, he said, obviously you're touching it and you're putting your scent on it. He said, if you put a camera, one camera in that forest, he said, I don't care where, he said, I will send one of my dogs in and they will find it. He said, I guarantee we will find, that dog will find it. He said, there's a little tip for you. He said, when you put them cameras out, he said, our dogs will find it up to five weeks later. He said, that is how your human smell sticks to things. 
that has always stuck with me. And I tend to think that's a good thing to think of, that when you put your camera out, which sounds ridiculous, don't have a pee next to it. Because how many times have you been out walking for miles, put your camera out, then bust in for a pee? We've all done it. But what you've just done is left your scent there. Yes, unless, of course, what happens is as you're having a pee or as you're moving off from where you've had a pee, you then see a cat. Because I know about three people who've had that. Because they've moved away from the path they're on and they've gone to some bushes and looked in a different direction, they've ended up seeing a cat. Yeah, possibly. I've been with Jonathan. We've been in the forest of Dorset and we've been in, like, undergrowth walking through it and we've actually had to stop and we can smell the creatures it smells like a zoo and i honestly have had the wind up and got a bit panicky and i've said to jonathan and not before you know jonathan very well i said john i don't like this and he said keep still he said they're here they're right near us somewhere we can smell them we can't see them in the undergrowth but they're there it's all been terrific stuff to hear all these sightings and incidents and your perspective on it we ask every guest the same question what do you think generally about big cats living wild in Britain and possibly a small population naturalising? What's your attitude to it all? If I hadn't met Jonathan and gone out with him so many times, I would have no idea what signs to look for, like the scrapes, their, their, the scat, their footprints, their kills. I would be like most people. You walk through the forest and you see like birds and squirrels, but you'd never see any signs of a cat. If I hadn't had that, I would have given up this ages ago when people say they're elusive, I think it's an understatement. I mean, at the moment in Waltham Abbey, four or five years ago, you never saw one of these ringneck green parrots. Now we see them every day. And I think it's great. As you know, there's wallaby in different areas let loose. My son phoned me six months ago one night in a lane in Epping. He said there's two wild boars standing by the side of the road. You don't want to hit those in the car either. No. And I said, you sure? He said, Dad, I'm standing watching them. He said, there's two big wild boar here. Well, I never knew we had wild boar in Epping Forest. I've never seen them, but he has. Once you have them in numbers, you will certainly see their rooting signs and occasionally see them blatantly. So you think we can live with the consequences and manage the consequences of these animals, John? At the moment, I can't see if there is any consequences because unless something happens nasty, and I don't think it will because these creatures see people, in, in Epping Forest or the surrounding going out into the Epping Uplands and out of London, these creatures must see cars, houses, lights, people, dogs, horses, all the time, and they don't go near or buy them. And if anything, they'll avoid you. So it's going to be very unlucky. But the one thing I wouldn't do is I have a friend of mine that goes wild camping, and he's quite a tough character. He's very happy to go out in a bivvy bag and sleep in the forest on the floor of a night. Now, I've shown him some of my film and some of the things I've found, and he looks at me and he said, I'm not doing that again. We have a scoutmaster in our village here, where I'm in Gloucestershire, and about six or seven years ago, he came and saw me, and he said, now I do believe there are big cats out, and I take my lads in the Forest of Dean, and we do outdoor camping just like that. He said, now we're always going to be under canvas because of uh, big cats. And of course, since then, there's been more wild boar about as well, which could disturb you at night. So... Yeah, he as a scoutmaster, he was taking that tactical decision that he wanted the people under his custody to be under canvas properly rather than sleeping, you know, more exposed. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone should worry. If they're like families going on holiday in Dorset camping and wherever, I don't think they've got anything to worry about. I think, if anything, if they do get a glimpse of one of these creatures in their torture of a night, how fantastic, what a sight to see. You'll never forget it. I wouldn't encourage anyone to go and shoot one or hunt one. I just think, leave them alone, and they're not interested in us. They're just interested in surviving and reproducing. That's the way nature is. Yeah. Would you think about putting cameras by the side of Terry Moore's sanctuary? Is What about that? I did for a week, and he would let me. As you go into the gate, each side of the gate, there's a horse paddock. He keeps little tiny ponies in it. And he's a very, very decent gentleman, Terry Moore. I like him. Then you've got a building which they sell pet food and stuff for horses and that but on the right hand side as you go in there's a patch of forest that runs down so one of the chaps there said to me come and look at this and this was a few years ago now and he said they know that area because they're always in there they cut the grass they know it he said look at this he said we found this a while ago and you can see where this creature like clawed the tree if you can imagine a man's hand that's how big the claw marks was apart it was as, the paws must have been as big as a man's fist and the deep claw marks down this one tree 
which this creature's scratched. And they was higher than my head. Gosh, yeah. So it wasn't a small creature. And this is what they've been describing. Uh, and that's in Codicut, Hertfordshire. But apparently, it's been seen there over the years quite a few times. Obviously, the smells of the uh, the other cats in there and their food and their waste and all that. And, yeah, and I suppose the, the, the animals coming into season and what have you. Yeah, cats and estrus are going to attract any wild cats, perhaps, once in a while. Anything else you want to say, John, before we close? When you read in the paper people sort of ridiculing people like me and yourself for what you do, my attitude is, well, we have an awful lot of countryside out there, and of a night, you can't see the hand in front of your face. You can't see a thing. And that's when they, they come into their own. They can travel anywhere. They can go in your garden. You don't know anything about it. They can go hunting in the forest. It's a difficult subject. Sure. Well, it's good to be challenged, isn't it? It's good to be kept on your toes and to, to see it as a <laughs> as a challenge. I think you've got to take the positives from it. And of course, we all learn about lots about other wildlife in doing it. So, you know, you've got to take all of those interesting spin-offs with it. My attitude is, like, we will have a go at putting cameras out and see what we can do, but don't sort of get too wound up in it and don't take it too personal. Absolutely. When people take the mickey, and I get it all the time, so that I don't say too much anymore. I just keep it to myself. And then someone comes out with something and tells you all about what they've seen. As you've demonstrated in some of these reports, often it's sort of less is more and subtle and slowly is actually the best approach on this kind of subject. Yeah, I'm hoping this this estate up in um, just around the M25 there, I'm hoping they give me permission, but we'll see how we go. Slowly, slowly do that one and, you know, we'll just see how we go with it. Good luck with that, John, especially something around the corner from you. Great to have you involved in Big Cat Conversations, John. Thanks so much for all of that stimulating stuff. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Thanks ever so much for coming on the show, John. That's all right. You're very welcome, Rick. Anytime. A quick break for Words of the Week. And for this episode, we have Wood Pasture. Wood pasture is a rare type of wildlife habitat and it can be found in Epping Forest and also in places like the New Forest in Hampshire. It's a self-explanatory term because it's a type of habitat with open pasture grazing land and with trees and woodland interspersed. It feels like you're in an ancient environment and that's because it is a link with ancient and royal forests and medieval deer parks which had wood pasture. So the deer especially, but also other grazing stock, would have grazed and browsed in these places and shaped them. And where they exist today, the deer still do. The dead wood and the veteran trees, like old oaks, provide important microhabitats for insects, birds and other wildlife. In terms of large cats, the lynx in Britain would have especially liked wood pasture because its structure would be good for ambushing prey, and lynx, and now are leopards and pumas, can easily dart over the uneven layers of dead wood and fallen tree limbs and hide amongst them. So wood pasture today would be liked by any large cats because it would attract deer and other wildlife and give the cats perfect places for hiding, ambushing and climbing if they needed to ascend a tree. There's a link explaining more about wood pasture under episode 43 on the Big Cat Conversations website And there is also a link about something we didn't have time to include in the final edit with John, and that is the Uffington White Horse, the big chalk figure on Downland in Oxfordshire. But what kind of animal is it? Does it depict an animal other than a horse, perhaps a cat, perhaps a big cat? It's a primitive figure and it is open to interpretation. John reckons it's a cat, so that begs a few questions if it is. So there's a little more about that on our website, including one of John's own drone photographs above the Uffington chalk horse or beast. Our next guest is Mike from Basildon in Essex. And we're now moving to the southeast edge of Greater London, and we're going to hear about a road traffic accident from 20 years ago, and it involved a big cat, so it's of great interest to us. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for asking me, Rick. 
Great. Well, thank you, Mike. And uh, one of our guests last year mentioned that she very nearly hit a cat full on, did an emergency stop. So she was just a couple of seconds from hitting it. But you actually did hit a cat. So can you tell us where you were and all about what happened? I was on my way home from work with a couple of workmates doing a lift chair. It's going back a bit now. It was was either 1998 or 99. And it was a lovely summer's evening. It was ever so light, really good visibility. I just joined the A13, only a few miles from Lakeside, actually, just by the M25 A13 junction, just got up onto the A13. It was controlled by traffic lights at the time, so you've got bunches of cars going up together. And I was at the front of a bunch of cars and just got up onto the A13. And I just settled down onto the road off the slip road. And I could see an animal or an animal's legs coming along the central reservation behind the Armco barrier. And it just struck me straight away. These legs were big, thick, powerful black legs. They were spaced quite a way apart. You know, they've got the front legs and then the gap, although I was at an angle. But you could see it was a very long animal, but it was behind the Armco barrier. And it just struck me straight away that an animal that big should be above the barrier. But then I didn't have long to think about it because I was doing 70 mile an hour aiming straight towards it, and I was thinking, it's going to run out in front of me. I couldn't slow down because I had traffic behind me and traffic next to me, so I couldn't change lanes. So I just thought, well, I've just got to go and hope I get past before it runs out. And I just got up almost to it, and I just thought I got away with it, and then it shot out in front of the car at a tremendous speed. And I don't know, it can only have been probably less than 10 foot away, but it was just like a black blur that shot in front of the car and as it went past it turned its head and was actually looking over the bonnet its shoulders were lower than the bonnet of the little fiesta it was mm-hmm. so it was lower than the bonnet but the head was turned around and looking through the windscreen it was really strange it only lasted a fraction of a second but it seemed to go in slow motion and uh, got a good look at it and the thing that caught me I don't know why but I noticed although it was black you could see down where the fur was parted. You could see it was like a, a brown, dark, chocolatey brown as he got nearer the skin. I don't know why that caught me attention. Although it was looking straight at us, so you couldn't really see the length of the muzzle. It looked like a, a squat sort of face. And then it was gone. And I thought I'd missed it. And then there was the impacts of, well, you know, a, a bang. It hit the, must have hit the rear flank of the animal. And glass came up over the top of the car, over the windscreen from the spotlight, and it was gone. But I couldn't look to see what was happening because I was just in control of the car. But my two passengers turned around, and uh, they said by the time they turned around, it had gone. It wasn't laying in the road. It carried on going. We all saw it. It was just so strange, sort of a surreal sort of accident. We all looked at each other and sort of said, what was that? And we all agreed it wasn't a dog. And then you go through the silly conversation, you know, well, it wasn't a fox, it wasn't a badger and all this sort of thing. It wasn't a deer, which is pretty obvious, but, you know, you're sort of all saying it. Yeah. And we all agreed it wasn't a dog, but we didn't have a clue what it was. So I carried on going. I pulled into the next lay-by and it had creased up the wing. It hit so hard because we were doing about 70 mile an hour and it had actually creased the wing of the car, pushed it all back. So, you know, it was quite an impact, but it had carried on going. I just assumed it was a, some weird dog. You know, I mean, we all said it wasn't a dog, but what else could it be? And then it wasn't until uh, a month or two later, I was reading the local paper and someone had written a letter up. I think it was a lady had written a letter up, replying to a previous letter or something. And it said that she'd seen on several occasions a pair of black panthers crossing the road there and several of her colleagues had seen them as well. And it just fell into place. As soon as I read that, I just knew. After that, I think that weekend, I had to wander down to the, the zoo, took the kids down to the zoo, because we used to have a little zoo in Basildon, and they had some cats down there. So I went down there, went over, and I stood there looking at these black leopards, and I looked at them, and the fur was exactly that I'd seen on there, you know, black, but where it was parted, you could see it was brown. And you look at the face, the big squat face, and it was exactly the face that was looking at me through that windscreen. I just knew. And then I I said to the blokes I was giving a lift to, when I went back to work after that, 
I said, oh, I found out what it was we'd hit. And they said, oh, what was that? And I said, it was a black leopard. And it was complete silence in the car. <laughs> they never said another word about it. <laughs> but did they check up like you'd done? Not to my knowledge. They just didn't say a word. They just sort of shut up. Surely they thought you'd done your homework a bit. I don't know. They didn't seem to want to even believe it, I don't think. They didn't want to go there. No, they'd witnessed it and they'd all said it wasn't a dog. And, uh, yeah, they just, I don't know, couldn't bring themselves to think it was a leopard. When I read it, read that letter, it just fell into place. And I just thought, that's what it was. I just knew. You know, when I thought back, it's exactly what it was. Had you had any knowledge that there were big cats like black leopards in the country before? Had you ever heard anything about them before? Not a clue. Not a clue. Otherwise, I might have thought of it. Introduce you to the subject rather sharply. That's right, yeah. I mean, I'd never even considered it. And if I had, I probably would have tweaked. I would have put two and two together. But, uh, and then, obviously, I've been interested ever since, trying to, especially with local sightings. Yes, of which there are in, in, uh, in Essex. Did you get a good view of the tail? Obviously, we always want to hear that from witnesses. No, I didn't see the tail. All I saw really clearly were the legs, which, first of all, I saw them, and I just thought, what on earth is that? It was like getting the legs off of a Great Dane, but then chopping him off at the knee sort of thing. You know, he's too short. As soon as I saw it, because I've always grown up with dogs and different animals, it just didn't fit anything that I knew that should be there. It just looked strange. He was away from the cars. He was between the two bits of Armco barrier, and he was just strolling along like he didn't have a care in the world. And then he just chose the moment all the traffic suddenly appeared to shoot out across the road. If he had gone 30 seconds earlier, he would have been okay. And it was a dual carriageway, was it? Yes, yes, it's a dual carriageway. When they were building the A13, it just came up to a stop at the M25, and then you had to go down the slip road. But it was a dual carriageway. Yeah. For people who don't know Greater London or overseas listeners, for example, this is north of the Dartford Tunnel and about looking, if you regard the M25 orbital motorway around London as a clock, it's close yeah. to what, um, four, four o'clock on the clock? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I would say so. 30 miles outside central London. I think this road cut across their territory, the new road they were building. So they've probably been walking across there for years, and then all of a sudden they've got this road that's appeared there. On the right-hand side is lots of very thickly wooded hilly area, which is private property, and I think they just use it for off-road cars occasionally. And it's deserted in there. There's never people in there. And then you go across the road, and on the other side, the road drops right down to a river. And it's a corridor of woods and fields all the way north, really, if you follow it around for miles. What do you think happened to the cat? Do you think it was um, seriously injured or just a glancing blow and managed to survive? I don't know. I mean, I hope it was didn't kill it or anything. But, I mean, obviously, it didn't kill it immediately. Whether it ran off and lay down and died somewhere, I don't know. But the trouble is, it's so inaccessible there, you can't even get to it. You know, there's nowhere to stop. It's a busy road. You can't even stop there and have a look around, really. But it was quite an impact. Yeah, it creased the wing of the car, you know, pushed it back so it had a crease over the front wheel, pushed all the front back slightly, it had to go in for repairs. Yeah. Did you do an insurance claim? Went through the insurance, but we thought it was a dog at the time, just said it we'd hit a dog that made it easier anyway <laughs> well you know we didn't think it was but there was nothing else it could be a big cat wasn't even on the radar i hadn't never thought of it if you had to compare it to a known dog type what would you say the size was i did do a little bit of research a little while ago and look up the size of the armco barrier the standard size of the armco barrier now although it's slightly different now because we had to go with the european standards it was around about 700 centimetres or something like that. It worked out an inch or so taller than a male leopard would be when I looked up the size of a male leopard, which was a bit of a coincidence. The body was shorter than that, and it must have been walking with his head down. Compared with the bonnet of the car, his shoulder was slightly lower than the bonnet of the car. I'd be guessing if I said the length, because although I could see it was a very long animal, it was at an angle, I was sort of heading towards it at an angle. It looked considerably longer than a dog would look, from the size I was looking at it with those legs. So length of the body stood out? Yeah, yeah. 
if it was now, then obviously I would have parked up in the lay-by and walked back a couple of miles and see if I could find anything. In hindsight, do you think you could have looked to see if there was any snagged hair on the any of the impact? I should have done that as well, but because I didn't think it was a leopard, there was no reason to. Of course, yeah. And there was no reason to phone the police or tell anyone at the time because you just didn't think it was significant. Well, that's right. Another thing that, although we saw it and we knew it wasn't a dog, there's nowhere around there. Yeah, it's not residential at all. No one lives in that area and you wouldn't have a dog there anyway, really. How do you feel about it, reflecting on it years later, that you've hit one of our precious black leopards? <laughs> How do you feel about it? Well, I did feel quite bad about it, I must admit. In the mornings, with the sun rising there and all the mist, it, was a, it would have made a beautiful photo. And I always thought, I wish I could stop there and take the photo. And that's exactly where I hit, hit the cat. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've still not managed to stop there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. OK. How do you think it affected your attitude to the cats? Obviously, you, it's made you have an interest and look into the subject and, and now want to talk about it. Yeah, before, I didn't have a clue about them. wasn't on the radar. But once you start looking into it, you realise that, well, yeah, they are there. It's a very interesting subject. And as long as they carry on as they are, not doing any harm, really, then um, I'm fine with them, you know. It's just, I can understand with farmers, I know lots of them keep quiet about it and don't mind them. But if they're losing sheep and that, not that we have sheep in this area, but if they're losing sheep, then you can understand them wanting to get rid of them. But um, I'm quite happy with them. And uh, Obviously, I'd love to see another one, but this time, see, and not hit it. Yes, sure. I've never actually spoken about it with anyone, only online. It's only recently that I joined Facebook over Christmas. Okay. Just so I could go on these uh, big cat groups, and that's the first time I've told anyone. And I've never actually told anyone face-to-face. Because you feel it's a sort of tricky subject and people frown upon it because it's yeah. a comfort zone issue. That's right. If it was someone that's, you know, had seen one or believed in them, then that would be great. But I know nine times out of ten, the people I'm going to mention it to, they're just going to think I'm mad or making it up. And what kind of feedback have you had from Facebook conversations? It's a mixed bag, but uh, there's someone there that are interested and you can talk to and have had similar sight. And there's others that say, oh, no, it's a dog, but I just ignored it, you know, and don't bother to, to answer him. I'll just talk to the ones that seem to have a bit of, a bit of sense and actually believe you and you can believe their stories. And has that been um, a positive for you that you can actually talk it through? Is it some kind of closure or not maybe closure, but reigniting the interest? Yeah, definitely. And there's been a few on there where I've spoken on there and they say, oh, you know, I saw one not too far from there. There was someone that said they saw a puma in South Ockenden, which is not far from that. Although obviously this wasn't a puma, but, you know, you get into other conversations. Exactly. I mean, if you don't start talking to people, you don't open up and find out, yeah, what's going on. How about your family? and your children developed an interest in it? Uh, my youngest son, he's got a bit of an interest and he's moved out to Cornwall now. And I spoke to someone on Facebook or messaged someone on Facebook and he had just seen, he'd seen him before. He'd seen a black leopard on a couple of occasions before where my son lives, just about half a mile from his son. And he got back on there saying that he'd seen another one the day he went on there. But he was a bit reticent about going on there because he knew what sort of reaction he could easily get. He was lucky enough to see one out of his bedroom window and watched it with a pair of binoculars. Is this the one not far from Falmouth recently? Yes, yes. Yes. Ah, we're going to have that gentleman on the podcast in a few episodes' time so people can hear from him. Fantastic, yeah. That's a very interesting case. His previous two were at night and, um, yeah, really spooked him. So we're going to hear about all of that coming up soon. Oh, good. I look forward to that. Isn't it interesting if you know a part of the country, but you're not sure if it has big cat sightings? Yeah. You know, you're always sort of the jury's out, but you're wondering. But if somebody clarifies it by being a credible witness, you think, oh, gosh, I can think about big cats here after all. Yes, yes. And he did come across as a sensible chap. He knew what he was talking about, and he, he sounded very sensible. Yeah, that's why we've enlisted him for a future episode. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's cued that one up nicely, uh, Mike. <laughs> this is all terrific stuff, Mike, and it, in a way it's a sad event, isn't it, hitting a big cat, but it's so important to hear yeah, from yes. 
witnesses who've had that um, experience. And say you'd hit a big cat uh, knowingly at the time. Yeah. You, the reaction would be very different, wouldn't it? You'd probably have phoned the police. You'd probably have gone back. You'd, it would have really, yeah, I think it would have been very I different. I would have definitely gone back to have a look. Yeah. Um, even if it meant dropping the others off at home and then driving back 15 miles and with a torch and having a look, I would have gone. Just in case he was there and wounded. I'm not quite sure what I'd do with a wounded leopard, but <laughs> I'd still want to see. Yeah. Do you think you would have phoned the police to tell them? Um, I probably would have done then. I'm not sure what I'd do now. I mean, if I did hit another one, I certainly hope I never do. Yeah. But if I did hit one in a car, I don't think I would report it to the police. I think I would rather, if it was, you know, if I'd killed it, I think I'd stick it in the boot and then uh, have it as evidence, you know, deliver it to some expert somewhere rather than give it to the police and uh, it never be seen again. Yeah, interesting reaction. Not that I think the um, police deserve a lot of hassle from us. I think um, the police have got a very difficult job on this subject. I think they do. Well, I have. And having said that, if I thought about it, I'm not sure if I'd do that or not. I mean, I'd obviously I'd take photos for myself, but I'm not really sure that I want them to be proved to be there anyway. Yeah. If you tell everyone and they know they're there, what's going to happen then? At the moment, they're keeping themselves to themselves and, you know, keeping out of the way. Yeah, the unintended consequences. And also how you communicate it as well. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to say? Any final points you want to make that we haven't covered? Uh, one final point. I did see in the paper, in that same local paper, I don't know when it was, it may have been six months later, it may have been more, as they were building the next part of the road from the M25 round to across Rainham Marshes and to Dagnum. That was all, no one lives there, that's just, you know, marshland. And they built this road across there. And I remember reading in the local paper that work had stopped because they'd found, I'm not sure if it was one or two leopard skulls. And I don't know why they knew they were leopard skulls, but he actually said in the paper they were leopard skulls and work had stopped while I investigated this. And then a few weeks later, there was another little bit in there saying, oh, the, the skulls they'd found, they, they said were left over from the Ice Age, which seemed a little unlikely to me. I just thought, well, you know, they've probably been living there for years and they've just found a couple where they're going through the bushes and that, doing the road, and they found a couple of skulls there. Yeah, interesting that they actually bothered to get them identified because sometimes people would find a, a mammal skull like that and just think, oh, it's a badger, you know, it's a large badger skull. Or Yeah, I was surprised that someone a bit knowledgeable must have looked at it and said it's a leopard skull, you know, rather than just the workman finding it thinking, oh, what's that? And then throwing it in a bush. How interesting. That does beg a question, doesn't it? Yeah. I've tried looking online before, nearer the date. I've tried looking online for old newspaper cuttings, but I couldn't find anything. Yeah. Thanks ever so much, Mike. It's um, a very important uh, incident that we've heard about. So, yeah, we'll see if we get any follow-up. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting if anyone did have any, any more reports. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we may get somebody else in a future episode that has hit one too, and we'll hear from them. I'm sure other people have. Yeah, maybe the police did get phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Mike, thanks ever so much for coming on Big Cat Conversations. I'm sure the listeners are, are very grateful to you. Thanks ever so much. Thank you, Rick. Cheers. OK, for the next episode, it's a complete change of scenery because we move from southeast England to the west coast of Scotland, where we will be hearing about the reports in Kintyre. In fact, if you want to be primed and ready for that one, there's a neat little film to watch on Kintyre's Big Cat sightings because we'll be following that one up, speaking to the producer and one of the witnesses. So do a web search on Rare Creatures, Big Cats in Britain, and you should find the short film on YouTube. It's well made and has some clever vibes. Following the Kintyre episode, we'll be looking at Suffolk in the east of England and then North Wales, or mainly North Wales, because that one will include an interesting report we've just heard about from next door to North East Wales in the Wirral. OK, we're signing out now, but I want to thank those of you who've been in touch recently. It's so good to get your reports and your feedback. And just a reminder that my email is rick at bigcatconversations.com. 
thanks again to John and to Mike for being our guests. And as always, thank you everyone for listening in. Please take care of yourselves, keep positive and bye for now. Bye.